encourage you to turn in your Bible, if you have one at hand there, it's page 808 in its pew Bibles, to Matthew 2, as we look at this journey to worship today. When you're studying the Bible for yourself or studying the Bible in order to teach it to others, one of the, the wise things which we are told is that we should look for the big idea in a Bible passage. For those of you who are trained by CEF, they called it the central truth. Uh, initially, I was going to call the sermon today the, the journey of perseverance, of how the wise men didn't give up but kept going on. But when I looked at the passage and looking for what was the, the big idea in this passage, what hit me was worship, to worship the King. We see that in verse 2. The wise men came and said, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen a star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. And then down in verse 11, when they find Jesus, it says, And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. So the big theme in this passage is about worshipping the king. The wise men were on a journey to worship the King. And we can learn a lot from this passage today about how we become worshipers and be better worshipers of the King. We're on a journey, and I hope that's a journey to worship. The first thing we see in this passage about what helps us to worship is the light of creation in verses 1 and 2. In the form of this star, creation was witnessing to the birth of Jesus. Creation was giving a loud message that indeed the Savior had come. Now, how the wise men knew this star symbolized the birth of the king, we don't know. Possibly God spoke to them through a dream, or possibly it was maybe through Scripture. Do you remember the story of the children of Israel when they were leaving Egypt on the way to the promised land, the story of Balaam and his donkey. And what happened there at that time was a king called Balak paid Balaam to offer these curses against Israel. And Balaam went to do it, but every time he opened his mouth to curse Israel, God overruled, instead of curses coming out of his mouth, words of blessing came out of his mouth. And this is one of the words of blessing that came out of his mouth. He says, a star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. The promise of a king, a king who would be like a star. Then many years later, Isaiah, the prophet in Isaiah 60 says this, arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. A multitude of camels shall cover you, the young camels of Midian and Ephah. All those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense and shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord. So here's a, a prophecy about those who've come from different areas, including Sheba, which is Arabia, coming and bringing gold and frankincense to this king. So maybe these prophecies helped these wise men explain what the star was about and help them to understand what the star was about. Or maybe it was a dream, we don't know. But the crucial thing 
is that the star as part of God's creation was witnessing to the birth of God's Son. Psalm 19 is a lovely psalm which speaks about how God's world around us speaks to us about our God. It says this, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There's no speech nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. So the world that God has made us, the world out there, the stars and everything that God has made testifies that we have an amazing God. We have a wise, powerful, loving creator who exists. The wise men were following the light of creation in the star that God had provided for them. But something went wrong. Instead of them arriving in Bethlehem, they end up in Jerusalem. Now, we can imagine this. Sometimes we follow Satnav, particularly in the countryside, and it takes us the wrong place. Somehow, they were following this star, but they ended up in Jerusalem instead of Bethlehem. In verses 9 to 10, when they leave Jerusalem, <coughs> it speaks of them following the star once again. In their diversion into Jerusalem, had they lost sight of the star due to some cloud? Or had they, when they got near Jerusalem, thought, oh, this king is bound to be born in Jerusalem, the capital city and the palace there. So had they ignored the star and instead trusted in their own thinking and went into Jerusalem? Whatever happened, they had failed for a period of time to follow the light of the star. They failed to follow the light of creation. And that was not just a problem for the wise men, that is a big problem for the world today. Paul says this in Romans chapter 1, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So basically saying people push down the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. So here's God saying we have this powerful light of creation, and people are without excuse. It speaks to everyone. Then he goes on and says, for although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to God, to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. So Paul was saying in his day, people suppressed the truth that the creation was shouting out. And instead of worshiping the true God, whose qualities are seen in the world around us, they made images. They brought God down to be less than what He truly is. And this is the nature of sin in every human heart, including our own hearts, if we're honest. 
The human heart suppresses God's truth and instead desires to go after false ideas of God that suits ourselves. I'm sure you're very aware, and certainly our young people are very aware of this. We live in days of increased atheism. When I was growing, out, growing up, sorry, you hardly would have heard of an atheist existing at all, and yet even so many young people are saying now they're atheists. But this atheism is not a sign of greater intelligence or education. The Bible teaches it's a sign of increased godlessness. It's not about the brain, it's about the heart. And Paul in Romans 1, if you went on in verses 24 to the end of the chapter, he teaches that part of God's judgment for people suppressing the truth about Him in their godlessness is He hands people over to sin. And he particularly mentions the sin of sexual immorality. Now, Paul wrote that 2,000 years ago, but it's not exactly what we see today. People suppress the truth of God. They don't want to hear the truth of God, the great light of creation. They ignore it. They make fun of it. They suppress it. And then God hands people over to their sin. There's a challenge for us all. Because if we suppress the truth, if we reject the truth, we're in real danger that God will just say, go your way and hand us over to sin. So we have the light of creation. But then secondly, we have the clarity of Scripture in verses 3 to 6. So the wise men, they go wrong, but in Jerusalem, as we said, their king Herod, for once had good sense and wisdom, and he turns to those who knew the Scriptures, the priests and the scribes. And they turn to the prophecy of Micah, written 700 years before this. Now, you go 700 years before today, back to 1322, you're, you're way before the Reformation, you're way before the Tudors, you're long, long, you're in the Middle Ages. That's how long ago 700 years is. 700 years before the birth of Jesus, Micah there speaks about Bethlehem, how a ruler will come from there. So, alongside the light of creation, now these, white men, uh, these wise men have the clarity of Scripture. We quoted Psalm 19 earlier about the light that creation gives us, but the second half of that lovely psalm, it speaks of the greater light, the clear light that comes from God's Word, God's law. Psalm 19 and 7 says, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. And here we have the wise men finding this to be true. This prophecy, 700 years old from Micah, clearly speaking about Jesus. Here we have the Scriptures pointing to Jesus. And that is the purpose of the Bible. The Bible is always there to lead us to Jesus. Do you remember when Jesus rose from the grave? On that evening, at Easter Sunday evening, He was on the Emmaus Road and met two disciples and spoke to them. And this is what it says, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, He interpreted them in all the Scriptures the things concerning Himself. 
Now, the scriptures he's telling me there is just the Old Testament scriptures. The New Testament hadn't been written. But even all of the Old Testament points to Jesus. That's so important for those of us who teach. If you're teaching Sunday school, Bible class, BBGB, or wherever. You'll see a quote coming up here from John Woodhouse. John Woodhouse was a principal and lecturer in Moore Theological College in Australia, an excellent Bible teacher, particularly a tremendous Bible teacher of the Old Testament. And at a preaching conference, he says this, the proper purpose of all Christian preaching is to so proclaim Christ that by God's grace our hearers will be profoundly affected. And he said that during a talk when he was speaking about preaching from the Old Testament, teaching the Old Testament. And he says, that still has to hold true. All of the Scriptures have to exalt Christ so that people are impacted by Jesus. C. H. Spurgeon, the great Baptist preacher, tells a story of a young preacher. And one time he was preaching, and this elderly Welsh preacher was listening to him. And afterwards, a young fellow, wanting a wee bit of encouragement, he says to the elderly preacher, he says, well, what did you think of my sermon? Dangerous thing to ask. The elderly man says, not very much. And the young fellow was so down, fallen, and he says, why? What was wrong? Well, you didn't really mention Jesus very much, did you? And the young fellow says, well, Jesus wasn't in the text. Jesus wasn't in the passage that I was preaching about. And here's a quote coming up, which he says, young fellow, this is the way to preach. From every little village in England, it does not matter where it is, there is sure to be a road to London. Now, from every text in the Bible, there is a road to Jesus Christ. And the way to preach is just to say, how can I get from this text to Jesus Christ? And then go preaching all the way along it. For those of us who teach, for those of us who read our Bibles, our goal always has to be to see Jesus. To see what this passage teaches us about Jesus. The primary purpose of all teaching and reading of the Bible has to be to lead us to Christ. Because only in coming to see and to meet with Christ is hope to be found. Think of the the chief priests and the scribes who Herod spoke to, who shared Micah chapter 5 with Herod. Why did they stay in Jerusalem? Why didn't they say to the wise men when they were told, the king has been born in Bethlehem, why didn't they say, let us go with you? Here are men who were experts in the Bible but they had no desire to meet with Jesus. So we have the light of creation, we have the clarity of Scripture, and then thirdly, we have the joy of the encounter in verses 9 to 11. 
when the wise men came to Bethlehem and to the house where the star was over, this is what we read in verse 10. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Now, this is no light or superficial joy. If you look at those words, there's a repetition of words there saying this was an absolutely amazing joy. They had never experienced a joy like this at all before. Now, I'm sure there was probably a mixture of relief after so many months of traveling and going wrong and going to Jerusalem. They now have come and met with Jesus. But meeting with Christ gave a joy that absolutely blew them away. It then says in verse 11, and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and they worshiped him. Then opened their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. This encounter with Jesus, this meeting Jesus, created in them a joy and a worship that was extravagant. You think of those gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They were very, very costly things. They gave in abundance because their hearts were moved with such worship. As we think of ourselves on a journey to worship, it's important to have the light of creation out there. It's important to have the clarity of Scripture here. But sadly for many people, this is as far as they go. And the result of that is their worship at best is formal and lukewarm. For worship to go beyond the formal and the lukewarm, there needs to be the joy of the encounter. People really need to encounter Jesus, to have an experience of Jesus, an experience of being in His presence. But how does this happen today? We can't get into our cars this afternoon and go like the wise men to a, a house and go in and see baby Jesus and have that joy. How do we have this encounter of joy today? Well, before we think of the right way to encounter Jesus and to know the joy that this brings, let's just consider a few of the wrong ways in which people seek to achieve this encounter today. One way which our, some of our forefathers did was seeking to create the grandeur through amazing buildings. That's why so many cathedrals were built so high. It was trying to create an atmosphere. It was trying to give a sense of God. That's how they tried to do it, these amazing buildings, to give you a sense of God. Secondly, displaying images to get a sense of Christ's nearness, particularly prevalent in the, the Roman Catholic Church, but also very prevalent in the Greek Orthodox Church, particularly pictures, trying to get a sense of Jesus being near. They're trying to bridge this gap. How do we get from where we are today to the Jesus who's in heaven? How do we get from the, where we are today to the Jesus who lived on this earth 2,000 years ago. So some have tried the great buildings, some try uh, images. Others have tried moving praise to lift our emotions. Uh, some have tried in cathedrals that very high classical music. Today, some try very emotional music and repetitive music to try 
to bring us to that joyful encounter with Jesus. Now, there are different merits in some of those things, but we cannot rely on any of those things for us to encounter Jesus and to have that joy of meeting with the Savior. So, to make Jesus real to us today, what do we need alongside the light of creation, alongside the clarity of Scripture? What do we need to really meet with Jesus and have this joy of worship? Do you remember what Jesus Himself said to the woman at the well about the type of worship that the Father longed for? He says, God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. And that word spirit could be taken two ways. It has to be in our hearts, in our spirits, but it's also in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God. You remember in the upper room when Jesus told His disciples He was leaving them, and they were upset. Remember how Jesus said to them, it was better for them that He went away so that He would send the comfort of the Holy Spirit to them. This would be better for them because the Holy Spirit would make Jesus even more real to them than He was sitting in their presence. And that's an amazing truth. Paul in Romans 8 speaks of the Christian life in the Spirit, and he says this, if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. There he's speaking about the Holy Spirit giving life to our, our bodies. And this life in the Spirit has to be an ongoing experience and an encountering of Christ through that Spirit day by day. So it's this encounter of Jesus, it's not something we can create by our buildings or by images or by our music. You can have all those things and still not encounter Jesus. The only way we can encounter Jesus today is through the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ making Jesus real to us. Remember Jesus speaking to Nicodemus? You must be born again. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Nicodemus, to be someone who belongs to the kingdom, to be someone who's a child of God, you need the Spirit of God living in you. You need the Spirit of God making Jesus real to you. So, the Holy Spirit, it is He who makes the light of creation it is He who makes the clarity of Scripture alive to us so that Jesus becomes alive to us. How is your worship? How is your worship? Is it alive? I'm not asking you, what do you think of the singing? What do you think of the sermon? What do you think of the service? I'm asking you, is Jesus alive to you? Do you have a sense of awe and wonder at Christ? A sense of awe and wonder that the God who made the heavens has come down to be a little babe, to be a Savior for you.
Have you experienced that wonder? You need the light of creation. You need the clarity of Scripture. But you also need this encounter of joy, which can only happen through the Spirit of God. This is what we need to ask for. Ask, and it shall be given unto you, Jesus said. What was he talking about? The Holy Spirit. We need to pray for the Spirit to be real in our lives as we read God's Word, as we look at the world around us, as we worship together. We need the Spirit of Christ to make Jesus real to us. And if you this Christmas time are someone who has seen the light of creation, you have seen the clarity of Scripture, but you've never had that encounter of joy, come to Jesus. Confess your sin. Accept Him as your Savior, as your Lord. And if you do that genuinely, the Bible teaches us that the Spirit of God, the Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, He has come to live in you to make Jesus real to you. Let us pray. Father, we thank You that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. Father, grant in each of our lives, grant that in each of our hearts, we would know the reality of Jesus with us today. In those quiet times at home when we read Your Word and pray through the power of Your Spirit that Jesus would be as real to us as the person in the next room, and as we come to worship, Lord, that Jesus would be as real to us as the person who's beside or in front or behind us. Oh, Father, for the glory of your name, by the power of your Spirit, make Jesus real to us, we pray. Amen.